Enterprise Intelligence is a weekly video series that talks to industry experts, global thought leaders, and seasoned knowledge workers about how they're tackling their information challenges, embracing new technologies, and moving the needle on performance. Hosted by Shiny Docs founder and CEO, Jason Cassidy. Joined today by James Merklinger. He's the president of the ACC Credentialing Institute. Great to talk to you again, Jim. How are you? Hey, good, Jason. Thank you. Yeah. So please tell me about the ACC Data Steward Program. The Data Steward Program uh, is basically a, a framework for measuring how well law firms protect the sensitive information of their clients. And it's something that was developed uh, specifically by ACC, the Association of Corporate Counsel, at the request of its board of directors. What uh, we found is that companies were not necessarily measuring uh, how well their law firms were protecting the sensitive information of their uh, clients. And the clients are basically our members. Now, that wasn't because uh, lawyers are incompetent, and certainly not, but it's an area that has been evolving so quickly, the use of technology. And if anything, it's it's been highlighted through the pandemic because of uh, so many people working virtually. But a lot of sensitive information is, are sent to law firms intentionally because the law firms are counseling their clients. There's nothing wrong with that. It's expected and they should do that. It's just that the, the bad guys have figured out that's where all the good information is. And they're not looking into the, or out for the best interests of the companies. They're looking to see how they can benefit from actually stealing this information. From uh, the law firm perspective or from the corporate counsel perspective, uh, certainly it's competitive in a sense that uh, they want to have more clients than other clients. And of course they go to, they combat in litigation and negotiations with other counsel. However, the idea of sharing and the idea of public publishing the fact that they have worked with your program and have achieved a particular threshold or score within your program has to be a competitive advantage for them. It, it is. And, and, and certainly on, the, on just the immediate level, publishing scores showing, look, we have taken steps to ensure that we're adequately protecting uh, your information. Now, to be able to demonstrate that in an easy manner, such as here's our score, that's really helpful. At a minimum, it's facilitating discussion. And what I mean is that when we looked into developing this program, we we're saying, what are legal partners doing to measure their law firms? We found that the vast majority were not doing anything at all. Uh, and that's why we're tasked with developing this program by our board. And doing this, though, helps have a, a tool by which the in-house counsel, the clients, can measure their how the law firms are doing. For the law firms, having um, a recognized standard helps them demonstrate that they're doing well. It also, from a practical standpoint, helps them reduce uh, the variations in a number of questionnaires they may be answering. We've talked to some law firms that were doing over 50 different types of uh, evaluations a year by different clients. And they're um, similar, but different enough where it still takes a lot of time to answer them. And even some said they had uh, half-time to full-time equivalent, working on just responding to questionnaires. When it comes to legal, I, I don't know that it's underpinned by specific legislation that says that you must do this around the world. So I think it's, it's a good sign that councils are taking this on as an initiative because it's the right thing to do, not just because they have to. You know, it really does depend where you are. And, and obviously with the, the world, there are many different um, schemes around this. 
seems to be evolving. For example, there's some legislation that went through in the state of New York where financial institutions, if you were representing a financial institution, I should say, then a law firm need to have a chief information security officer. That's relatively new. In the uh, model rules for professional uh, responsibility issued by the American Bar Association, there is within the, the model rules a responsibility of lawyers to not only uh, protect the sensitive information about their clients, but also to ensure that the technology they use actually protects them. Two states I know of, Florida and North Carolina, actually now require, as part of their continuing education requirements, that lawyers seek training in technology. When I was coming out of law school, technology was just the computer you typed on. There were, there were no rules around it, or certainly no obligation as a lawyer to, to seek training. Uh, our training you know, was directed specifically towards learning more about now it's a more practical aspect. I, I think that will continue to expand. But the other part of this, what's interesting is not just from the, the legal standpoint of what countries may require in the future, but many companies, particularly large companies, have been evaluating their third-party vendors, some for decades. What's interesting is that they sometimes evaluate all vendors except law firms. It seems every week there's some new article about a law firm being hacked by bad guys and getting sensitive information of multiple clients. Uh, and that's gotten the attention of the uh, legal community. Could you give an example of the types of cyber th threats that the program builds a readiness for the types of the, the kind of the, uh, the footprint of these attacks and in the types of mitigations that get put in place? Yes. And again, the, there's no, no programs going to prevent bad actors or human error. But it is designed to understand and make sure there are processes and protocols in place, controls in place to protect the sense of information. And what you're seeing is everything from the bad actors going after the services that law departments are, are using or, or the law firms are using and hacking information that way. Bad actors have done everything from use ransomware to shut down hospitals, shut down law firms from acting to taking information, uh, which they use for the equivalent of insider trading, stealing information about deals that were going on that were not public, and then trading on the stock exchange. Some of those have been blocked. Others have done that to globally. And people may recall the Paradise Papers or the Panama Papers, where information about offshore accounts and, and many different things from thousands of people, some involved the, the royal family in England, and that got a lot of attention, that type of information going out. And again, it's not that the corporations are doing something illegal. It's just that it's sensitive information. For example, they, they may be contemplating a merger, or maybe it's even a hostile takeover, or it could be litigation. There could be many legitimate reasons for not wanting the information public. Yeah, and, and thanks for sharing that because it's, I remember, I recall the first time that you and I talked, you, you shared a similar story and like myself as an information governance professional, of course, I'm aware of ransomware attacks and these types of things. We hear about them all the time. And at the other side, we know the reputational component of some information that you wouldn't want out there that is intended to be confidential and rightfully should be gets out and then you have to deal with whatever consequences, whether they're legal or not, there's reputational consequences. But those ones that are in the middle, these financial market manipulations and the bad actors profiting through regular channels, 
through the ac illegal acquisition of information for some reason seems especially egregious to me. And it's uh, maybe just because it was fresh information that you provided to me, but it was that layer is something that I hadn't really considered before. And in, in are, are your clients aware of, of the vastness of the different impact and the vastness of the cybersecurity threats as they come into it? Or is part of this program really educating them on that vastness as well? Yeah, yeah you hit upon it. It is part of our responsibility as the organization for in-house counsel is to help educate them on that. Some of our members have been in industries that are heavily regulated and they have probably been concerned with this for decades. But it, the, the idea that you need to be looking at your law firms is relatively new. When we uh, surveyed our members, first time in 2019, we found 70% did not evaluate their law firms. And when we did it again this summer, we found it basically similar numbers. So we've been spending time educating our members about the, the programs, the controls, as well as law firms. It's a fairly arduous process, not in the sense of the information is difficult to consume, but you have to have literally find time, meet, explain, demonstrate what the program is. And then there's always multiple parties involved. And then again, it's something new that the vast majority of time they've not previously done. So to implement um, a new procedure within a corporation is not usually something where they just snap their fingers and do. I think it will probably come to a surprise to a lot of certainly legal counsel, law firms, that traditionally they will think of IT as a project. We're going to do the cleanup on the shared drive, and then we're going to go, oh, yeah. we need more security. So we, we install this software in the projects then done and we're secure, where th this is truly a program. This is a, this, the behavior that you institute is more important, in my opinion, than the technology that you may end up buying or deploying, and that behavior has to be continuously put in place. Is, is that surprising to the, the customers as you work through this? It's one of those things where when you discuss, it, it, it seems so obvious that they go, of course, but it's also some, I, I guess the equivalent of saying, why didn't I think of that? So having uh, an independent party, in this case, ACC, managing the controls, providing this platform from the use, uh, frees them up to do really what they're hired for. No one I've interviewed who has responsibility for valuing the law firms had said, that's what they hired me to do. It was just one more task added to the list of things to do that was necessary, but really just ancillary to what their job was. And so they looked at it and said, what a real benefit. And also relate to that, some of the companies that had evaluation process share with us that, look, we evaluate these, our controls every three years. And that's a, a very tedious process. It takes up a lot of time, it takes months for them to do. And they said, having ACC doing this for us saves us a significant amount of time and money. I can see how the complacency might've might have been in place when you're auditing all of your vendors because there's such an implied confidentiality. It is so well-respected. Like when you think of two professions, perhaps the medical profession with your doctor and certainly with your lawyer, it's unambiguous that when I share something with my lawyer, they're not gonna share it with anybody else without my permission, which is that maybe one of the little hints as to why people are less worried about that information leaking. And then all of a sudden they forget, oh yeah, there's cyber threats, which is not intentional. Those, it, it, could that be part of the complacency? I, I think there, there is that in, in implicit trust. And again, you 
I can't imagine you would engage a law firm if you didn't trust them. So you have that at this basis, which is a good thing. And, and at the same time, from as you mentioned, from a legal perspective, inadvertent disclosure or someone potentially hacking in and stealing it, uh, otherwise privileged information would be protected in a court of law. But we're not talking about a court of law. We're talking about real world and the public. And, and that may be what lends itself to the not necessarily complacency, but the overlooking evaluating the law firms. And at the same time, technology and that has moved so quickly. It wasn't that long ago, but it seems like ages when uh, Target was hacked and through their vendor, I believe was an air conditioner contractor. So Target had all of its safeguards in place, but it didn't have safeguards on this third-party vendor. And that led to a focus on third-party vendors, but nobody was talking about the law firms. And somewhere along the way in the past 10 years, and more recently, the past couple of years, the black hats have figured out why waste time going after one corporation at a time? Let's go after a law firm that has a hundred corporations as clients and get the information that way. And it seems to be accelerating. One good thing about the, the program, the, it does come up with a, a score based on one to hundred. But what's important is that we're not, as an organization, ACC, telling uh, anyone what uh, the score you should use to engage your outside counsel, because all matters are not equal, right? Uh, a score of 65 might be perfectly acceptable for certain types of matters, and it may be unacceptable for others. You'd want your know, law firms to strive to get as perfect score as possible. But again, it's ultimately going to come down to the uh, in-house counsel who's engaging the outside counsel to determine what's appropriate. The controls are set and we evaluate this from time to time, but the process is dynamic. And, and what I mean by that is that don't like your score, but you've identified areas for improvement. It's not a snapshot in time. You don't have to wait another year to get your evaluation. You can work on those things immediately. And we've had several law firms that did the initial evaluation and prior to sharing their results with their client said, you know what, we can do better. Uh, let's look at this and, and here is our remediation plan. And they did not release it until they actually took care of those things. So everyone benefits because they were able to use the uh, controls to evaluate how they were. They identified um, certain deficiencies uh, or which they felt were deficiencies and then came up with a plan and, and fix them. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, th I think he tidied up the, the next leading question is, how does this go? And I think that's, to me, how this goes. Maybe if you could just summarize the main beats, because I think you, you truly hit them, that you identify uh, what is in place, you mark it against the controls that they should have, you give it a score, and then you give them the mitigation opportunity, then you continue to evaluate it in the future to make sure that they're leveling up. Is... I, obviously, it's more nuanced than that, but maybe you could comment about how does this typically go? How long does it take for get through this before it becomes a program for an, an organization? Yeah, you know, that's, that's a, a great question because it does vary greatly. So we've had a couple law firms that had already gone through a full ISO certification, but they felt this program would be great for measuring and, and demonstrating to their clients uh, their profile which is interesting, but the other side of that is that the ISO certification is, is fairly expensive. And so most law firms do not seek that. But the firms that had gone through that process, they were able to go through and answer the control, the questions 
by um, which we have 160 controls in a, a matter of three to four hours. This questionnaire is 40 questions responding to 160 controls and by which they respond. And, and some obviously are going to take more effort than others versus we've talked to people who had, I was shocked, but someone said they had a questionnaire had over a thousand questions on them. I don't even know how, I, I don't think I could think about a thousand questions if I, my job depended on it. That'd be well, very difficult. Yeah. And how do you consume that too? Because you know that the, the party that you give it to can't possibly invest careful consideration to each of a that, thousand questions. That was a comment that we heard over and over again. Even, uh, it sounded even, uh, some had uh, what, 400 questions, which still is a, an amazing amount. The, uh, the other part to that, related to processing, consuming that information is that the platform we used to launch this already existed in the sense that it's audit board, it's a compliance portal. So it's the number one ranked in the world and, and also not only for the, the companies using it, but also its security measures. And we intentionally um, chose a platform that was already functioning and had a great SOC 2 report that was important for us. So it's not ACC storing this information on our servers, but the platform itself is very dynamic. And again, measuring compliance, and now we're using it for measuring the security profiles. It has the ability to generate it uh, within a dashboard to look at all the law firms that are on the panel for a particular client. So easy use, easy access. Uh, and that's important to this function too. And, and previously, like when we had talked or met before, you had mentioned pricing. I thought that the, the pricing of the work that you do was, was quite reasonable. I'm not going to ask you specifically about the pricing unless you wanted to share. But it, it, what I will ask is what tends to make the program more expensive for people? And what can they do to make the program the most cost effective is for themselves? Yeah, so, so within the, the program, the way it works is that the law firm subscribes and has a license to this. So they can get a single subscription and just pay a, a very modest, it's currently $1,495 for the license. And they can share that with a single client. Then we have a cap on price where uh, they can pay basically $10,000 and share it with as many clients as they wish. We're obviously the organization for in-house counsel and we want to design something that is helpful for the in-house profession but at the same time recognizing it's much better to have the collaboration and then something that benefits both the in-house profession as well as the law firms if it's something that was just forced down on them it, it uh, they may do it because their clients asking them but again in the long run we're better off with having something that works well for all the parties involved and it gives when we initially developed this we had input from law firms and advisory boards. So it wasn't just driven by one side, so to speak, the, the in-house side. This is awesome, Jim. And I, it, it, before before we started recording here, I, I thank you because one thing really interesting is I have a lot of conversations that are about information governance in general. And this is a very targeted specific use case, but it's not niche. This affects all of us. And it is a something that it's not automatically intuitive. And I feel like the audience is going to think about other areas of their business as well, in addition to their legal counsel about, about uh, maybe where they might have 
information governance. I don't want to say risk because risk implies it's just insurance or whatever, but opportunities to make their business better. So thanks for joining me today. And, and please, could you share where people find you and, and get in touch with the ACC Credentialing Institute? Yeah, thank you. The, the website, acc.com, has a link to the uh, accdatasteward.com. Either place you can find. I, I, I give you both URLs because um, acc.com is easy to remember, but certainly the name of the program accdatasteward.com is also direct link. And I like the credibility that it's attached directly to the member organization. It's endorsed by the member organization. And it's a program that ultimately helps everybody. So that's cool. And we'll put the, the URLs up in front of us right now. So th thanks a lot, Jim. And happy holidays. It was really great talking to you. Yeah, Jason, thank you for uh, taking the time to interview me. I appreciate that. I said, we're just trying to get the word out to as many people as possible. And uh, certainly, I hope they'll contact me if they have any questions or or feel free to include my um, email address. Yeah, we uh, will. Awesome. Right. Take care, Jim. Great. Thank you.